In the beginning, there was nothing. Then there were comic books. Once you enter our world, there is no escape. Comic exposure begins in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Comic Exposure Podcast. My name is Travis Ratz, and I'm flying solo today without my co-host, Joshua Buckley, the Joshua Buckley. Uh, And that is for a special reason. We have an interview today. Uh, One of the things that we do on Comic Exposure, besides expose people who have never read comics to comic books, is we also like to interview creators, writers, and artists of comic books. Today we have such an interview with writer Charles Chester. Now, uh, Charles Chester is uh, the writer of Boy Zero, which is currently out in two volumes. Uh, I was able to read the first volume of this book, and I think it's worth checking out uh, for the storytelling alone. Uh, Really snappy dialogue, really good pacing in this book. Uh, And today we talked to Charles a lot about storytelling. Uh, One of the things I think you're going to get from this interview is just how passionate Charles is about storytelling and just how much he knows about the process of storytelling. And so we talk about that. We talk about some of his influences. We talk about what he's currently reading. uh, And I hope you enjoy it. And I hope afterwards you go and pick up uh, Boy Zero. So we're going to jump right into the interview here. Without further ado, Charles Chester. Hold on to your butts. It's a comic exposure interview. Okay, I'm here with Charles Chester, who is recently back on the market for podcast, as I just found out. Um, and we're going to be talking a little bit about, well, I'm guessing quite a few things today, uh, about his uh, project um, Boy Zero and some other things that he's been working on. But basically just getting to know Charles and kind of his experience so far with the medium of comics and, and kind of his background. So, hey, thanks for joining us, Charles. Yeah, my pleasure, man. Very excited to talk to you today. Yeah, Charles and I have been trying to get together for a while over uh, uh, Skype here and do uh, an interview. Uh, he sent me um, uh, a couple of volumes of Boy Zero, and I was reading through it, and I was like, ooh. As I was every page I was turning, I'm like, "Ooh, I gotta ask about this. I gotta ask about this." Uh, but we are gonna keep this a, a spoiler-free interview because I know people want to kind of delve into it and find out all those things on their own. Uh, but I do want to start. Let's start at the beginning, Charles. Um, let's start at conception. How was how fiery was your parents' romance? And where? I want, let's start at the beginning <laughs> of your um, your kind of your storytelling career. I know that uh, a lot of your writing comes from an early love of Stephen King. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, I grew up, uh, you know, most uh, kids will grow up with their dad playing catch and taking them to sports games. Uh, my dad would sneak me out in the middle of the night, and we'd go see, like, the latest Nightmare on Elm Street at, like, the local, uh, uh, you know, two-theater movie theater, you know, um, unbeknownst to my mom. Um, so that was our way of bonding. So ever since I was a kid, we would... Uh, constantly be reading Stephen King together and, and just uh, sharing the stories. As well as, like, Clyde Barker and some of the other, like, you know, big horror guys from back in the day. Yeah, you know, when you... It's weird that Stephen King has become... You know, before he was kind of like that, um, you know, beach reading, plane reading, really entertaining. Like, when he was when he was 
in that prolific 70s, 80s stage, but I went to college in the early 2000s, and they were already putting King on the curriculum uh, for lit majors. Like, you were sitting there, and you're like, what are we reading? And they're like, we're going to read The Shining. And I'm like, okay, let's read The Shining. And, and one of the things that you, uh, you do find out about King is, I mean, and then you see, you could kind of see it, the, in, the writers he's influenced, like yourself, is that dialogue like how snappy mm-hmm. that dialogue is. And if you were getting that in your ear as a little kid, I mean, that stays with you as a writer, that, that voice and that kind of, that, that feel for dialogue and, and making it engaging. Yeah, it's funny. Um, the way my father and I would talk to each other is very much like that. If it wasn't like uh, punchy and interesting or whatnot, it was a boring conversation and we'd just move on, you know? Right. Um, so it was uh, it was like a writing class since I was a kid, um, but I wouldn't change it any other way. You know, it was uh, it was awesome. You're you know, like it's, it was a good. It's cold in here, Dad. It's colder than a witch's titty on a brass bra, son. And you're like, wow, Dad. I'm glad Mom doesn't hang out with us anymore. <laughs> so we started off with an early love of King, and then um, you know, we, one of the questions we always ask here on Comic Exposure is: We started this podcast to get people uh, who might not read comics kind of expose them to the genre or the medium of comics and, and see how they liked it. Um, so we always ask people, whether they be guests or, or writers or artists we're interviewing, what was your first exposure to comics? I know storytelling was those early Clive Barker, uh, Stephen King, uh, but what about comics? Um, yeah, I really wish I had a really interesting uh, story in that regard to tell, but I, I mean, honestly, I think it was Alan Moore Swamp Thing. Uh, good one. When I was a kid, uh, it, it's amazing. But yeah, like when I when I read that, I, and I understood what like um, storytelling and uh, uh, like uh, levels, adding levels to storytelling, like what he was doing in that series. Um, it just it was like an awakening for me. You know, like I I understood that comic books can be much more than. Um, just the funnies, like, you know, like, um, Archie and whatnot, like that there was actually, um, a level of depth and some very big talent in the comic industry that I thought was only existing in, uh, just straight up literature and, or like, you know, the film, you know, uh, filmmakers and, uh, yeah, reading those books when I was a kid just blew my mind, opened me up to a whole new world. Well, it's, it's interesting, you know, um, I don't know what your artistic skill is like. I do want to talk about um, your uh, artist uh, on uh, Boy Zero, Penfield. But um, I know as someone who's like, I, I love storytelling as well in its many forms. But when I was reading comics as a kid, like you were talking about the different levels it has. I don't think I was reading it for the art at all. I don't think it wasn't until I was an adult, which I when I really saw how the art was commingling with the story and what it was doing as far as, you know, advancing storytelling. Did you have a sense of that as, as a kid when you were reading, like, Alan Moore's Swamp Thing? Was the art as important to you as the story, or was it just, like, Alan Moore is just a great writer? No, honestly, um, I, I, I would go entire pages without even looking at the artwork mm-hmm. and just, just, like, living in, those, uh, in that dialogue. Oh, you yeah. know, um, and then it was when I went to film school and, and se- taking sequential art classes that I realized the power of, of like the gutter between the panels. Um, 
then I just I was hooked. I, I became obsessed. I mean, my background is actually in filmmaking, um, and I grew up in a uh, a starter home on Long Island, which pretty much means that uh, um, you were the poor kid um, amongst the super rich. You know, so we had no money to do uh, films. We had no money. It, this is before a digital age. It was all actual film. So in order for us to, um, you know, to tell our stories and whatnot, we realized that uh, we had to get as creative as possible. So me and a couple of my buddies um, taking some classes in um, storyboarding realized that there's an advantage here. Like we can actually tell the stories we want to tell um, on the page and with no um, caveats, no disclaimers. Yeah. You know, if you want Superman to move a mountain, you could have Superman move the mountain. You know, you don't have to pay for special effects to do that in your storytelling. So there, there was no hindrances, and uh, I just became obsessed, and I've never looked back since. Right? Yeah. No, you you make a good point there. You know, when you when you take film classes, or when you do, when, or when you just jump in the film, as so many young filmmakers do, where it's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just gonna do it and do it and do it until I'm better at it. Uh, one of the things mm-hmm. that you, what people constantly tell you is they're like. Just write it and worry about how you're going to film it later. Like if you need, you know, there are people who will write to the budget and that helps too. And you get better at that. But there is something to be said about just putting it on the page. And I think what many people uh, in the last 40 years have realized is, hey, I can tell this story in comics and I don't have to sacrifice anything in the telling of it because I just have it right there. And and if I got the artist who can draw it, then I, then I, the budget is the pens and colors he's going to use to do it, you know. And so there is this yeah. kind of freedom with storytelling uh, that you get with comics and film. So, what are some of your uh, film influences? Um, well, I, I was a teenager in the '90s, so it was the time of like that, um, uh, in surge, uh, the surge of like. Um, independent filmmakers making it big and Hollywood um, glorifying them. You had the Robert Rodriguez, the Tarantinos, you Slackers, had... Um, Mikes and Dykes or whatever it was, you know, like the yeah. whole crew. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was such, a, such an awesome time to, like, to be studying film and, and uh, uh, filmmaking because um, to be weird and different was celebrated. I feel like that might have changed since then. Um, but, like... Uh, like even um, hearing stories like um, Brothers McMullen um, mm-hmm. getting picked up for like what was it like he did the whole thing for like twenty grand or Clerks, yeah. Kevin Smith, you know. Um, so uh, during that time, I was just absorbing everything. I uh, like I said, we grew up. I grew up with like no money, so uh, me and my buddies at the time would actually. I'm in a bookstore now. Uh, we would go to bookstores instead of like stealing. You know, like um, cool music or whatnot. I I was stealing uh, books from Miramax yeah, about filmmaking book, or, or like the script yeah, book yeah, steals was, when they like put like yeah, chasing yeah. Amy out in the script book, and you're like, ooh, exactly. I gotta have that. <laughs> yeah, I remember the first thing I ever snatched was uh, Four Rooms, and it was like oh, the whole script that. breakdown. Yeah, and uh, you know, one day if I ever get to meet Tarantino, I'll, I'll give him the money that I owe him the the twelve ninety nine for the book that I snapped, but. Um, that it was just an obsession, you know. Like you know, I grew up in a culture with like a few of my artistic friends that like do that, steal it, go to the diner or Taco Bell, and then just talk movies 
and comic books for like what felt like days, you know? Yeah, you know, so that's really neat to hear the idea that even as a young kid, it was like, you know, some people play sports, some people start bands, and some people they film, you know, um, uh, our podcast here is typically based out of Phoenix, and Spielberg was here as a kid, and that's what he did. He just made films. He just made films out of Arcadia. And so, do you think, you know, it's kind of sidetrack here, but, you know, I, I teach middle school and high school kids. I don't know uh, how exposed you are to children. That sounds weird. I'm probably going to say you're not too exposed uh, in that sense, but the idea of, do you think that, do you think that people still do, I mean, with iPhones and you see it on YouTube, but do you think that still exists? Do you think that's that's more prevalent now? That idea of kids going out and almost being like their extracurricular passion, filmmaking or or storytelling, or do you think that the tools are here now, but that drive uh, isn't there as much? Um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking around to make sure that there's no kids around as we're talking right now, just so that this... You're like, hey, old man, <laughs> stop talking about millennials. <laughs> yeah, keep her name out of her mouth. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I'm I'm apt to say actually that storytelling now is probably um, uh, more rampant than it was um, when I was younger because the idea of like um, Vine and eight second stories, eight second videos, Snapchat and whatnot. Now I don't think I'm not going to say and defend that um, what they're doing is refined. Or that they even understand what they're doing, but um, to tell a story in ten seconds and whatnot—I um, mean, that's the fundamentals, mm. right? If you can't tell um, a compelling story in a short amount of time, it's not a story re- really worth telling, you know. So um, the tools are there for them, and I feel like a lot of them are very passionate about it. I just think you got a lot of noise and a lot of crap out there, you know. Um, I—I would like to think that a. Uh, um, the passion is there um, because look at celebrity now and celebrity now is uh, YouTube celebrity is just as big as anything else. So, um, I mean, everyone I know at this point, that's a millennial have a blog or something going on, like, because that's become like a new norm of sort, like, you know, um, getting their stories out, you know, whether it be a memoir, like in a blog or um, uh, YouTube tutorial, uh, sort of channels and whatnot. And they're all storytelling in one way or another. It's just it's just taken a new form as right. time's gone by. Right. You know. Now, now, as a storyteller, you know, who's an experienced storyteller, do you ever, you know, when you're sitting down, you're writing something like a project like Boy Zero. Uh, is there like something like a basic element of storytelling that you were taught somewhere, or you figured out at some point that you it's kind of like a mantra you have to repeat when you kind of get you know like just keep it simple or, you know, diversify the dialogue. What, what, what is your kind of your, your through line through all your storytelling? When you, when you feel like you're getting off course, you just go back to basics. What is that constant thing you you tell yourself? Um, there's, there's a couple. I mean, uh, one thing is about the scene because a lot of the things I've learned about is in, uh, um, filmmaking when it's short and sweet and to the point because you only got a maximum of two hours to tell your story so that really refined me as a um, a storyteller um, so like I won't drone on and on and on in my comic books because um, I'm just trained in the way of the filmmaker um, and 
one of the big things that I was taught is that, uh, you know, every act, three act structure, right? You break that down inside the act, you have um, sub acts. So like, you know, um, in, in, it's in threes always. So within those um, sub acts, you have your scenes. And if a scene is not progressing your character in some form or fashion, then it's just masturbation yeah. and lo lose the scene and or rewrite it in order to progress. Um, characters should always be learning something, um, whether it be good or bad, um, and or um, uh, reveling in their own ignorance. You know, whatever, whatever it is, the, the scene has to be, um, have a point to the character's development, you know? So I'll, I'll constantly be asking myself that over and over again. Um, I think I've gotten better with it over time. Now, Boy Zero, I started 10 years ago. It took us 10 years to finish it. It's over 200 pages. Um, anybody that's out there that is you know, doing comic books on the indie level knows the time it takes per page. It's, it could be an intense journey. Um, luckily, I had an amazing artist that signed on. and like, Even in the tough times, she was like, we're going to finish this damn thing. Don't worry about it. You know, like, we'll, we'll get there. And it took us about, like I said, 10 years to do it. Um, uh, so, like, along that whole time, like, I wrote the story 10 years ago, and I was revising and rewriting it as I went um, to make it better, as I grew as a writer. And I feel like um, if you read maybe the first two chapters and compare them to the last two chapters, um, I like to think you'd see the growth, you know, um, mm -hmm. Uh, my growth as a writer. Um, there's certain things in like the first chapter. I'll, I'll be like, yeah, it's. I wouldn't change it for anything because I grew up with this book. Right, you know, right, this yeah. book, this, this this book was my education in a lot of ways. Um, but uh, you know, um, you know, as as I've gone by now and I'm moving past Boy Zero to other stories, um, I'll always refer back to Boy Zero as um, uh, such a great learning experience. Um, and that's not. I'm not putting any disclaimers on the book. It's just yeah. more like, um, you know, I, I don't think any writer is ever going to be able to say, like, the first thing they ever written was the best thing they've ever written. Right. Hopefully not, you know? Um, they should be learning as they go. Well, and also I think, too, uh, and sometimes when you, when you get to see uh, a storyteller rise to the ranks and watch their early stuff, uh, it's sometimes the things – that would be considered weaknesses in storytelling actually kind of give them a unique that story a unique kind of voice or flavor whether it might be <clears throat> something like like a pacing issue uh, that you know young writers or storytellers might have that could be kind of a cool effect or something that people might like about it you know or something like that so uh, I, I you know there there's a lot especially in you know independent stuff. I think there's a lot of room for forgiveness and and joining the storyteller for the ride on that. So, uh, Boy Zero was your first project. Was it always meant to be a, a comic, or were you thinking about with the film background, like shooting shooting it? Um, I actually wrote it um, as a film uh, back in my um, graduate school, and um, what ended up happening is I converted it to a graphic novel when I realized that the funds were just not there um, to uh, do it out of pocket. And uh, now that it's published, um, I've been approached by a couple people to actually <laughs> reconvert it back 
but now because into like um, uh, a visual medium uh, like uh, TV or film, because uh, with the onset of like on-demand services like Amazon, YouTube Red, um, uh, I think Sony PlayStation has got one now. Like everyone's got all these channels, and they're trying to gobble up as much content as possible. Yep. So now's the time to actually be writing for TV. Um, when it was uh, when I was um, younger, looking to uh, break into the scene, it was like I want to do an indie film. I want to I want to uh, break in that way. Now um, I'm a little bit more seasoned, um, and the times are changing. It's actually like miniseries, like uh, and um, uh, TV shows. Is uh, it seems like you almost have more freedom, and they're a little bit easier to get made nowadays than. Um, a one-shot, forty-million-dollar movie, you know, um, actually spread that money out over like eight episodes or whatnot. Um, you have a better chance. Right. It's just it's just the way that you know the way things are moving right now. Which yeah, people, I'm okay. I'm I'm okay with it. You know. And the public is getting used to that type of storytelling. That kind of slow burn. I I'm gonna. This is a commitment. I'm giving this twelve hours. You know, as opposed to the two hours I would give something before. Uh, so you know, so Boy Zero, I I can see why there is interest in converting that back into uh, visual media. Uh, I mean, you know, film media, uh, TV media, web series media, uh, with the the kind of tone of the book. Uh, I don't want to I don't want to give anything away in the book that you want people to discover. So can you kind of? I know you've probably got this pitch in your head, like by a heart <laughs> tattooed on the you know back of your eyelids, but kind of break down, um, you know how you how you talk about Boy Zero to uh, people who are interested. So the um, the basic premise of the story is uh, this is a small town, um, blue collar sort of town, um, and the children are being killed. And um, at this point, um, early in the story, it's unexplainable. The detectives, the parents, no one can figure out what's happening. Um, so the kids in the area start to build like a lore about the boogeyman coming to town and something supernatural happening. Um, so the kids band together, um, almost like a, like a Goonies sort of, you know, um, uh, uh, Motley crew. And they're basically just trying to protect each other. Um, and for me, the horror in like any sort of story was always when um, the protective ones, the people that are supposed to be uh, um, the safety, like the moms, the dads, or the detectives, or whatever it is that represents safety in the story, when they get spooked, that's when the real horror happens. So when um, the kids... Um, turn to the parents, and the parents have no answers and are also frightened themselves. Um, I wanted to live in that moment and ride that out as long as I could. Um, so uh, the basic idea of it is it's almost like a murder mystery, uh, trying to figure out who the killer is before our main characters get killed. Yeah, you you mentioned Goonies in there, and when we got to, when we get to the flashback and we first get that that kind of background that you know frame story around there i was like it's got that goonies vibe to it it's almost like the tone is kind of like at times like goonies meets the movie seven you know uh it's got that kind of uh hard-boiled detective 
Um, but there's also, I mean, the the tones mix really well because you do have this kind of, uh, you know, I don't want to say like bogey type character, but there is a sense of like a gruffness in your in your main detective with uh, the the want to do good, right, and the want to do a good job and the want to protect his city mm-hmm. and stuff like there. So you have a lot of really good good tropes mi- mixed together in a way that feels original. Um, and then the dialogue, you know, one of the things, Charles, uh, and being in this podcast, we, we read a lot of independent comics, um, and we do, a, we back a lot of Kickstarters and things like that. So you read a lot of independent comics. And one of the things that I constantly see with many independent comics is a really kind of juvenile take on dialogue. Um, one of the things you'll see with some independent comics is the characters sound the same on the page. They say things that are different, you know, like I'm telling you that I'm different because I'm talking about this thing, which my character talks right. about. Uh, but you don't notice that difference in the actual dialogue. And for one of the things that I really like about Boy Zero is that dialogue is so unique to individual characters. You know, if I were to remove the actual panels uh with the with the the word balloons going into that character's mouth uh i would be like oh this is you know this is our you know protagonist this is a uh, the child this is there's a real kind of distinctness in each of your character's dialogues that i think um is a downfall to many independent comic book writers and that probably just comes from the fact that this isn't your first rodeo as far as storytelling and writing um, I take that as an immense compliment, man. Yeah. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, I mean, dialogue to me is gospel. I just, you know, it's it's my favorite part about um, storytelling because the characters, when they start to tell you where they're going and they take control is like, um, I don't know how else to, to explain it. It's like a sense of euphoria as a writer. Um, and uh, you have this amazing experience where um the story that you mapped out completely now it's almost like you're going to the movies and seeing a movie for the first time and you don't know what to expect because these characters will take you on a ride so um when i can get a character to actually start speaking for himself or herself um it's the greatest feeling in the world so i appreciate you saying that that's that's awesome and i gotta know how much fun is it writing um over narration that's got. I mean, I, I, as a writer, that's always like the, my favorite part is writing that kind of noir narration over the top of it, where you get to be flowery, uh, poetic, but in like a dark, dingy way. Like, is that like is that your yeah. favorite thing to write in this book? <laughs> it's just like the over narration. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. You you get to add some pageantry to it for sure. You know, channel um, your inner Burkowski. Yeah, you, it's again, it, it's like. Uh, masturbation for a writer just yeah. to to be able to take it over the top um a lot of uh, my favorite stories uh film and whatnot um would always have some sort of a vehicle um for narration in a, in a sense so um for instance there's a an old 70s flick called vanishing point um and one of the main characters is a uh, disc jockey and um uh he's the whole movie is a, is a car chase but the disc jockey becomes a character and accidentally narrates the film through his broadcast. So you see stuff like that in um, Reservoir Dogs, mm-hmm. for instance, you know, that sort of play. Um, right. So, um, 
I, I feel like film and comic books, in a way, have uh, an ability to actually be very cinematic in that sense um, and to play with narration. The downfall, the thing that you don't get to do, is to play with sound, sound effects, music. Um, so you kind of have to compensate, like um, a blind man will compensate with hearing in a sense of uh, comic books by losing out on the ability to play with music and sound um, your characters might pop a little bit more to overcompensate for you know what you've uh, lost and that's a good thing and a bad thing because in the past you start getting these very archetypal over-the-top characters that are just completely unbelievable yeah. to to kind of jump off the page so there's there's a balance, and it also depends on the audience you're going for as well. Right, right, and also sometimes I like I love using sound like film projects and stuff like that when my substance is lacking because I'm like this is style. Now it's a style thing, right. you know, putting that putting that all tone. In. Yeah, 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 and which is nice because sometimes you can build a whole scene just around that backing track, which for you is it's got to be you know for Boy Zero there is this big storyline that deals with you know, a particular song being played. You know, that's a big... I don't think I'm spoiling anything here. I think that's in the synopsis of there's this kind of soundtrack to this this killer. Uh, and that's got to be tough to do on the page when it's such a big part of the story, or at least the originality of your, your villain in here. You know, I mean, that's such a big part of it. And to not be able to, you know, have your audience plug in that, you know... Walkman and or Walkman, what is this? Nineteen eighty nine. You know, not be able to have that must must have been kind of a challenge on how how do I how do I string this how do I insert this song visually into the text? Because, like you said, right. I'm I'm one of those guys who, when I was a kid, and up until now, oh, I'll read past like a bang, a boom, a pow, you know, and writers are so specific on that, that automatopoeia they put in there. And me as just, you know, I'm just reading it for the story. I'm like, Oh, I didn't check out all these sound effects, you know? Right. Right. Um, so when I first started this, I actually started with a different artist. Um, he was a good friend of mine. Um, uh, we ended up parting ways after doing about the first issue. Um, our work ethics were a little bit different. What we wanted out of it were a little bit different. Um, and he fought me time and time again about using a song in the comic book. And I totally understand now, you know, why. I get it. Uh, my newest artist, the one that I've worked with all these years now, um, she didn't have a problem with it. And we, we actually had some some dialogue over, over the, uh, the course of like eight or nine years of, you know, what, what can be done... Um, what has been done with sound in comic books um, and uh, the the payoff in a way. So so now Watchmen, everyone in the world knows, well, you know, the Watchmen. You know, there's only like one throwaway line as to what Rorschach actually sounds like in that book. They actually make mention of his voice, his voice. and the rough and, and gruffness of it. And that's such... Um, when you see it brought to screen, finally, when they actually made the film, you don't... It's such a nice payoff to finally actually hear just what a lunatic he sounds like because of the voice that he does, you know? Um, so I was always hoping that... Um, it's such a small thing, the song, but like if I ever got to do the film, that song would just scare the shit out of people. Um, 
in 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 a film medium that I I lost maybe in the comic book, but I didn't want to give it up because I knew if it ever made it to film, it would be something that um, could be a cornerstone of the whole story. Like the song in it is an old slave song. Um, uh, God will write His love uh, uh, in your heart, and there's no instruments. It's just um, uh, five blind. Blind Men of Mississippi is the name of the band, and it's just all um, uh, uh, acapella. Thank you. Um, But it's just grainy and scratchy, and it's just like there's only like one surviving recording of it, Um, and just something about it. It's beautiful, but anything beautiful put in the wrong context can be horrifying. You know, like what's the Sleep Sleepwalkers? uh, Well, I can't even think of the song that. Uh, the little surf guitar, bring, bring, right. which is a beautiful like you can dance to that at prom, or you can butcher someone in your basement and put them in your cooler, you know. And depending on how you right. use that, I mean, that is that contrast that we play with as storytellers, right? You know, taking mm-hmm. something that's typically thought of this way and twisting it to this, showing how everything is versatile. And I think that, uh, for you, that must have been really fun to play with that. Because when you're writing it, you're hearing that song in your head, you know? Um, oh, yeah. And probably too much. You're probably like, if I hear that song one more time, I'm going to lose it. Yeah, so that... yeah. I've had that damn soundtrack in my mind for about nine years. I'm happy to, uh, you know, be moving on to some other things right now. Speaking, but, of, uh, speaking of moving on to other things with this project, now that you, you know, you, you put the time into it. You've been with this project for a decade. Um, where 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 are you going with Boy Zero? Uh, and what what else is in the cooker? So as of right now, Boy Zero um, is being pushed to different Hollywood vehicles just to see uh, you know um, uh, gauge interest right now. So I'm actually converting it um, into a pilot um, TV show script. And we'll see what happens. Um, we've pitched it. There's been some interest um, here and there, but no one's bit because I'm a no-name right now, honestly. That's just the way it goes. Um, so we'll go back to them now with the script and see what comes of it. Um, Boy Zero uh, opened up a couple doors. Now it's my responsibility to you know, make sure that those doors stay open and, and I do something with it, which is why I've been focusing on my next book, um, which is completely written, and we're about three issues slash chapters deep um, of that series. So I'm going to be going for submissions um, in the very near future. And this one is, um, it's horror, but it's its its less thriller and more like uh, 1980s, like late 1980s, where like there's a little bit of like funny um like a Lost uh, Boys over the, kind of over vibe. the top, yeah, I'd say like a Lost Boys. I don't know if you've ever heard of the movie Monster Squad. Oh yeah, um, oh yeah. The Wolfman's <laughs> got Nards. Yeah, man. Yeah, that was. <laughs> I, I could honestly say I've seen that uh, movie as a child more times than like any Disney movie, you know, combined. Oh yeah. Um, uh, you know, uh, those sort of movies are like Sam Raimi's, like The Evil Dead, like um, Dead Alive, like those sort of movies were like. Um, it gets so tense, and then they find a moment just to make you laugh. And those are just the greatest moments when I was a kid. So um, this next one is uh, uh, playing upon um, those ideas. Um, but like storytellers like um, uh, Hitchcock or M. Night Shyamalan, 
um, I've always wanted to play with um, uh, the idea of storytelling itself. Um, I don't want to say twists, but but more like um, uh, conventions. Um, working conventions. Like yeah, conventions and um, different. Um, yeah, like high concept. Okay. I would say like yeah, Christopher yeah. Christopher Nolan does a lot of high concept work in his films. Um, uh, so uh, taking those ideas, like actually taking the idea of the hero's journey, and using that. Um, and drawing attention to it in a meta format in a horror film. Um, what if what if the main characters were aware of the hero's journey mm-hmm. and actually, uh, by following the rules of the hero's journey, might be able to survive oh. a really shitty night? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. In a horror in a horror scenario, you know. Um, so that's that's the newest thing that I'm working on right now. Right, that's really cool. That's a lot, especially with that. If you play with that, that kind of Monster Squad age group, as far as the characters are concerned, uh, I mean, I mean, that's what they'd be learning about in English class, right? Uh, you know, right. the hero's journey, yeah. and then of course you got to have the character who spouts off the exposition, like right? Oh yeah, this yeah. Is, you know, and that's a fun one to write as well. So, really cool, really especially, cool. Especially, especially if you're aware that it's exposition, you see some people just have a blast with actually if you're. Not doing exposition because you're a lazy writer, but understand it and play with it. You can have a real blast with it. If you're sometimes. sinking yeah. into like the idea of like, listen, yeah. this is exposition. We have to get it out there. So here's a fun yeah. way of doing it. You know, um, do you uh, are, are you are you currently uh, reading any any uh, series and comics that you really like right now? Uh, when you kept when you were talking about like you know the Monster Squad Goonies thing, I was thinking, have you been reading uh, Brian K. Vaughn's Paper Girls at all? I have. I have. I yeah, love yeah. it. I yeah, think it's yeah. awesome. I think that it's was actually like right in your right in your wheelhouse. If you uh, did, you take note that in one of the panels they actually have a Monster Squad poster in the On background. The back yep. Yep. Yeah. I love yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I've been reading that. Um, I've, I've been in love with Brian K. Vaughn since he was doing Ex Machina. Yep. Um, so I read almost everything that he does. Um, obviously, Saga. Um, which I don't want to say it's a guilty pleasure because it's actually very good, but anything that popular, I, I almost like the nerd in me has got to be like, well, that's, you know, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. that's, that's, that's too popular for me now. I'm like the, um, the pretentious, uh, guy that as soon as the band becomes popular, he no longer likes the band. Yeah, but exactly. that being, with that being said, Brian K. Vaughn is amazing. So he's I got awesome. no problems. He's a, he's a big, we read a lot of his books on this show. Everything is good. It's almost to the point where you're like, all right. We want to read that, but we've done too much Vaughn. You can have too much Vaughn. <laughs> it's an all-Vaughn all show at yeah, that point. Yeah, it's an all-Vaughn. You could do a podcast just on Brian K. Vaughn. Uh, the uh, guy's got, like, gospels worth of, of just writing. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, so the last things that I read, which, which are um, maybe not as current, um, The Boys, which I, I thought was fantastic. Mm-hmm. The dialogue in that is, is insane. Well, I mean, um, yeah. I mean, everything. <laughs> it's just like yeah. back to preacher and stuff. Um, I also recently picked up something called The Fix, and I can't tell you who's writing it right now, but it's so punchy. Um, I would say like the the Ryan Reynolds s sort of like snarky um, character he portrays in everything. Yeah. Um, take take that comedy um, and make it smart, and that's what mm-hmm. The Fix is. Um, that's pretty good. Uh, 
I've also been reading um, Why the Last Man. I'm doubling back because I'm, I'm ashamed to say I've never read it. Ugh. So I gotta yeah. I gotta read the whole thing. I have, everyone tells me it's one of the greatest endings. Oh, so I'm, yeah. I'm just super excited just about weeping. it. Weeping. Um, just weeping. I'm not going to tell you whether it's out of joy or sadness or a mix of both. But it just I remember sitting on, on my bed finishing it and being like, I can't go out today. I, I can't go out today. <laughs> I got to take a cold shower. Like, I don't know. It's just it was it, you're in for a treat. I'm so jealous. You know, there, there are all these definitive like series out there that especially when you do a, a podcast where you're exposing people who don't read comics to it. Sometimes people will read a book with us for the first time. And they'll say, well, what do I read next? And you're like, well, where do I begin? I- I'm so jealous of you starting this journey. <laughs> I would love to have like that first-time experience with all these great series that you know, I've, you've reread like four or five times at this point. Yeah, I, um, I, I've actually kind of been holding off on Why the Last Man because it's such a, um, a well-received thing. I'm like, uh, all right. It's on my list. I can, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to read the whole damn thing in a weekend. Yeah. Um, I just picked up, I picked up all the trades. So um, that, and I got to say, I don't get me wrong. I love Stephen King. I know I've talked about him a lot, but uh, I've made such a commitment on the Dark Tower series. I'm on book five now, and now that the trailer came out for the new movie, and like everyone's trying to do spoilers, they're like, you know, oh, this is from this book or that book, and this. The, I I gotta double down and just finish the damn series at this point. Right. But we're talking. Over like ten thousand pages. A huge man. commitment. What about yeah. what about a uh, little baby king? What about Joe Hill? Have you read any of his stuff or like Lock and Key? And yeah, Lock and Key is good. Um, uh, I read that. Um, I didn't read Horns, but I, I watched the movie. Yeah. I know it's not the same, but yeah, me, um, me too. I didn't read the book, but I watched the movie. Um, yeah, it's cool. Like I, I, I dig his stuff. Um, oh, you know, what? I I did double back on some Scott Snyder older stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, American Vampire. Oh. Yeah, American Vampire is pretty cool, and I like I I get obsessed with trying to find out how people made it into the industry. Um, Are you familiar with like his like how he spawned his career? uh, I know Snyder was writing short stories, and then like didn't he write like some kind of superhero based one, and then. Like the industry kind of picked it was like what would happen to a superhero if he was or it was like one of those kind of short stories and then that kind yeah. of opened the door to the comic book industry is that right I don't know um yes but it goes a little bit deeper because apparently his childhood friend was Joe Hill so he was oh so he grew um, up like in the like by the King Mansion in Maine and stuff yeah. then yeah. Uncle Steven. Um, wow. And so if you, if you notice the first American Vampire, not only is the forward by Stephen King, but they he split it, writing yeah. credits on it. That makes so sense they, now. He, he helped them get into the industry. Um, oh, but it's uh, I'm all the better for him because, like, it's hard to break in. If you have a way to get in, good. I just hate when people break in and they're not good and they don't have the talent to back it up. He's got the talent, so... You know, I got no problems with that. Yeah. That's that's a, that's your story right there about this young boy who grows up next to this uh, recluse horror writer and just like apprentice <laughs> underneath him. You're like, well, there's not a lot of happening in this book. You're like, no, trust me. If you're a writer, you're gonna like this. This is every writer's wet dream to grow up next yeah. to some uh, some revered horror writer, and they just invite you over to show you their work. So that, that that's gonna be a wild childhood, man. <laughs> Well, Charles, you have uh, no one. Oh, guys. I, mean, I was going to say, like, you can't compare it to anybody else's childhood. Oh, you know, that's just that's one done. You know, it's pretty yeah. awesome. 
it's like you're it's like real life narnia <laughs> it's yeah just, yeah um, so, uh, Charles, uh, I know I, I know you uh, have a lot of projects and a, and a lot of time commitments, so uh, we don't want to take up too much of your time here, but uh, we do, I do want to ask you kind of where, where can people find your work or find you either through social media? What are some ways that people want to either pick up something like Zero Boy? Where can they pick that up or where can they chat with you? Um, well, uh, Boy Zero is available on Comixology if you like the digital downloads. Um, it's also available drive-through comics. Pretty much any um, comic book downloadable um, service has it. Um, uh, to order hard covers, you can order it through Amazon. Um, you can get the colored version through Amazon. Caliber um, carries a cheaper version, collected work, uh, black and white, which actually kind of works because it's that noir sort of feel. Um, and you can order that um, uh, also through Amazon Caliber. Uh, comics.com and um, uh, Barnes and Noble carries it as well. Um, and any, it, I'm in Diamond um, distribution, so oh, nice. any comic book, uh, any comic book store in the country or out of the country, maybe Japan. Supposedly, if they have uh, access to Diamond distribution, which pretty much every comic book store in the world has, um, they can order it for the store. Listen. Uh, Charles, you better be careful. If your book is any more available, you're going to lose your independent status. That's what's going to happen. You're going to take away your indie card. <laughs> hey, man, I, I, I'm happy to sell out at this point. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, thanks, Charles. Uh, is there a, a what about do you have a, a Twitter or a, a, a Facebook or somewhere people can find you online? Yeah, Charles A is an Anthony Chester on uh, Facebook. Um, that's a uh, you know, my main um, source. I'm also on Instagram under the same name. Um, yeah, come find me. Happy to uh, friend anyone uh, interested in comic books. All right. Well, thank you, Charles. Thanks for your time. It's been a real pleasure. Man, I love talking about storytelling. I could do this like all night. Uh, so it's a real pleasure having you on. Um, it, was, it was fun, man. Happy to have met you. Okay, and everyone, we are going to be back with another variant episode next week. We're going to have Josh back here right in uh, – uh, shotgun with me again and we're going to be talking about probably some of the summer trailers and then we have our list of summer reads we have a bunch of guests some returning guests who will be reading some stuff uh, and then some new guests who have not been exposed to comics so we got some good stuff there's some really good things hitting trades in the next couple of months and Josh and I are picking those up so uh, until next time we will see you next trade <laughs>